When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan, and welcome to the show, everybody. Make sure that you are subscribed because we have new episodes coming out every Monday. And if you've been around for a while and you have an artist or somebody that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. That's the best place to get a hold of us. And last, if you love the show, click the Patreon link below. Become a patron. You get episodes early and special access to our favorite segment, which is the Bad Music Podcast, where we talk about the six worst songs from our artists that we talk about so lucas what are we doing today so this is a very uh special episode um we are going to be talking about a group that is very um instrumental in my upbringing i mean it's it's really a part of my Mm -hmm. entire growing up close to your heart yes And not only are we going to be talking about this group, but we've also got a member of the group with us as a special guest. It's very exciting. We're going to be talking about a group called For Him. And the special guest is someone that I've known for a very long time. (laughs) I've got my dad with me, Andy Christman, who is a singer in the group For Him. Hey, Dad. Hello, son. Hey, guys. (laughs) This is also the podcast listeners might know him even better from the infamous uh, i the iPod. Well, I wouldn't call it yes, infamous. the iPod. Yeah, infamous. It well, I yeah, say, that's the first time I've been called infamous. Yeah, I, I like it though. I wouldn't say infamous is the right word, but definitely, um, I guess famous. Yeah, I, I I tell the story a lot about when I was fourteen and you just gave me an iPod and you said, Son, I don't want you to listen to anything but this and you'll thank me for it later. <laughs> You're welcome. Cause I'll I'll often talk about those first artists that I discovered on there and any artist that we do, he will if they were on the podcast, he will remember it. Yep. So yeah, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a really fun time tonight. So um Ethan and Grant, what what are your first thoughts about For Him? Before we had listened to the songs and kind of what was, if I were to say we're talking about For Him, what does that bring to your mind? How do, what do you know about them? So I know, I think I know For Him more as the icon of that era more than I actually know the band. And obviously I know of For Him because me and Andy uh, have worked close together for a while and so i know of them but i 
like other than like the like the songs i wouldn't say that i had ever i was i just by the time by the time that i was really starting to get into music that just wasn't on the that wasn't on my radar at that time so to me for him is just like that that like that specific era of uh, christian music that well knowing like, knowing the knowing the nature of this show and this podcast i would be very surprised how many of your listeners actually did listen to a lot of for him music like you ethan mm-hmm. so i give you a pass well <laughs> i think but i think there's some there's still some big hits that you guys did that people would still be like oh my gosh that was them we like last week with grant we had a couple of those moments with oh yeah about bruno mars and, and he, was, more he was just like he was just like i don't really know if i've heard any bruno mars and then like every song it was just like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah that one that might be what happens tonight because i don't i couldn't tell you any for him songs at all so, like, so Grange, this is this pretty? I feel so loved. I'm sorry. I'm so. <laughs> I feel so honored guests, to be here, guys. Making the special guest feel so special. I'm, I'm just being honest. It's okay. just before we all listen to the stuff before the podcast, though. Yeah, this this is pretty normal to kind of where the whole point is to kind of introduce a uh, something that perhaps our listeners are unfamiliar with and and expand their uh, expand their tastes. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm the unfamiliar listener, I guess. But uh, the only reason I know, I feel so bad saying this, good lord. But like the only reason I know that for him exists is because of Lucas, right? I never really got into mm-hmm. like worship music. That's just not my like area of music. Because you know I'm a, I'm a pretty big metalhead, and it's just that's you know yeah I, yeah you can't get too far. Uh, it. it the di- the different the distance between metal music and Christian music I think is pretty uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's Grand Canyon wide. I I wish it wasn't that way, but you know it is. There are uh, a few there are a few bands that that right can hold their own metal wise in Christian music, but you know for the most part, yeah, not the same thing. Yeah, I'm curious when, though in terms of in terms of like reach at that time how. How big was for him, like in that scene? Like, what and what years are we talking about? At like the pinnacle? Like, is well, it like I, a, a good comparison, like for him and like Hillsong, or for him and like Avalon, or like all oh, that? Like, I don't really know where to place it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, probably from 1993 to 1998, for him was, uh, I don't know, maybe one of the top three or four mm-hmm. biggest artists in Christian music. Uh, we had some of the biggest tours that were going out there. So if you if you say Michael W. Smith, DC Talk, you would have to say for him. Yeah. Uh, in the same in the same line. Yeah. At, in in about that seven to eight year span. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we had twenty five number one songs on Christian radio. Dang. We've we've sold around ten million. Uh, albums, I think that's that's fair to say at this point. <laughs> that's a big deal. And you know, I mean, I've got a few gold records on my wall, and I've got you know, I've got a lot of accolades from that from that era. So yeah, there was a there was probably a um, a, a good I want to say probably we had a really really good run for about seven to eight years, and mm-hmm. then on either side of that run, very respectable. 
we started out hot and, you know, kept making really good music, uh, you know, in my opinion, until we decided to call it quits. Yeah. So you're, yeah. Top three is a good, I think it's hard. It's hard to be top three in any, in any yeah. genre. Sure. It's hard to sell 10 million records in any genre. <laughs> yeah. Back when you could sell records. Back right? whenever you could sell records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to put a little disclaimer here that <clears throat> this is not just me going, hey, let's let's talk about this band that my dad was in that wasn't, you know, that big or like my dad's band. Yeah. Like <laughs> this this I believe does fit in the spirit of what we talk about on this podcast, the types of bands we talk about, people that really defined an entire genre that they were in. I mean, we've never done a Christian group before. We've we've never really delved into this area, so this is kind of a first step. But, you know, this is one of the defining acts of contemporary Christian music. Um, what would you say is the difference, Dad, between... Because we wouldn't really label for him as a worship group because that's really what a lot of the Christian music is today. Right. But... Is there what would you say is the difference between worship and contemporary Christian? Well, when we started out in 1990, that was when our first album came out. There was there was no worship industry. There wasn't really any worship music. Worship music was hymns, or you know, Jehovah Jireh, you know, little choruses that people sang in church. There was no there's no a worship music industry. So really, the difference between secular music and Christian music, what we use a lot of the same musicians. Uh, we recorded in a lot of the same studios, a lot of the same producers. It's that we talked about God while other people talked about um, uh, relationships and, you know, whatever else, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about Jesus and, and our relationship with him and, and you know, how we believed um, our lives should be lived. So that was really, I mean, you know, you can you can stack up a lot of Christian music to rock music and pop music at the time and mm-hmm. hear very little difference in, in a lot of, of what was produced in the nineties. That's one thing that I listening through the six songs. Uh, and I said this before I had only, I only recognized one out of the six, but the other six, cause I kind of turned and I was like, okay, for him, we're going to get ready. And I was like blown away. I was just like, Oh my gosh, this did. It didn't sound anything like, I guess what contemporary Christian music now or worship music now sounded like I was, I was just completely missing the context. Cause some of that stuff, I was just like, this is so good. It sounded like this weird blend between like, yes. And super tramp. Oh, wow. I'll take awesome. that. <laughs> I'll take awesome. that. <laughs> so yeah, what... I agree. Worship music now. And we've talked about this a lot. Like what? It is definitely a stark difference between, there's a couple of songs that I'm thinking about specifically on the on the playlist, but what do you think? What happened to like you? You mentioned like worship music industry. Like what? What is that? Well, wow, that's a, that's it's a lot of layers there. I think first you have to know the history of Christian music that um, it it kind of crumbled in the early 2000s because they were. Christian and and you can, you'll hear a lot of different stories on why the Christian music industry started to fail, uh, but um, you know the the Christian music record labels were slow to embrace digital downloads, 
were slow to get on iTunes, uh, just really didn't uh, set themselves up to evolve with the times. And, you know, maybe some industry guys will hear this and disagree, but I mean, back in the day, I can just remember going, man, uh, we're getting the Christian music industry is kind of getting left behind with um, Napster and, and uh, when Apple music came out and the iPods came out, it just, they didn't make the transition very well. And Mm -hmm. Christian record labels really started to crumble. And when they did, it left a bit of a vacuum. And, I, you know, maybe that era of Christian music could run its course and it was time for something different. And then guys like Chris Tomlin, Matt Redmond, um, Delirious started to step up. And there was a there was uh, more of a hunger from younger Christians in youth groups across the country that wanted something, that wanted something a little different mm-hmm. than probably what was uh, being fed to them in, on Christian radio. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot involved in that, but you know, it went from, it went from professionals, if I can say that professionals mm-hmm. making music and hiring professional musicians and spending a lot of money on great producers and great gear in really nice studios to, you know, kind of what we see is normal today, not spending a ton of money uh, on production and having musicians that aren't as seasoned songwriters that aren't as, you know, don't have the life experience or, you know, don't really have the chops to write really great lyrics anymore. So it's just a different animal. I don't think you can, I don't think you can compare worship music, quote unquote, worship music to Christian music back in the eighties, nineties and early two thousands. It's just, they're just different animals. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what were your guys's influences? Kind of whenever, whenever, for him was getting put together. Kind of what were the what were the musical um, styles that you were putting together to kind of make the for him sound? Well, so we were all about the harmonies. You know, we got four guys with distinct voices that could all take lead uh, uh, solo leads, but we sounded really good. When we sang together, and that was because we were in a group before that called Truth. And we did a thousand shows in Truth before we ever did a concert as for him. Wow. And Truth was just a they were they were road dogs, man. We used to call it Christian music boot camp. One year we did three hundred and thirty five shows. I mean, we just we were on the road constantly. But it was man, you learned your craft, you learned how to sing with each other. And there hadn't been a, a really strong vocal group in Christian music since a group called the Imperials. And uh, we were just big fans of from the Imperials that came out in the late seventies, early eighties. And then we were also big fans of, of bands like the Eagles and the Little River Band. Um, you know, there's a band called Restless Heart that we kept referring back to with their harmonies and the way that they built their songs. So um, those were our earliest influences. That's that's kind of how we tried to pattern our sound and the way we built our music was just after some of the great, really tight vocal groups of the 70s and early 80s. That was, you know, the, at the ages that we all are, that's the music we grew up on. And we just didn't hear that in Christian music at the time. And we felt like there was a there was an opportunity there to to make that kind of music and that there would be an audience for it. We always were under the impression that if we thought it sounded great, then there's a good chance that other people would feel the same way. Mm-hmm. That's a good did philosophy. You, did you... 
like start working on for him stuff while you were in truth or was there like a transition? We did. No, we did. So, um, the, the owner of truth helped us get our record deal. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, so we, we, we joined the same label that truth was under and, uh, it was, man, we just, we got taken care of so well because we could stay on the truth bus. We, it was funny. We, we went home on, on our Christmas break, which is always about 10 days to two weeks. We'd, we'd do our last show on like December 23rd, get home on Christmas Eve and then head back out like January uh, 8th or 9th, <laughs> something like that. And uh, we had just enough time in between Christmas break and the start of the next tour in January to make the For Him record. And I think we spent 10 days making that record. Uh, we we weren't in there for any of the tracking, all of the you know, all the producers basically did all the work and we, we came in and put our voices on it. And literally I remember, I remember singing the song where there's faith and then uh, jumping in a, in a rental car and speeding out to the first concert. Like we're like, <laughs> we have to like me and the producer were going, we're looking at our watches going, we have to finish this in the next hour because I've got a show to do tonight in somewhere in Georgia. So that was, you know, but then we were able to stay on the bus with Truth until our record released, and we were actually uh, on tour with Truth when our first song, as for him, went number one on Christian radio. What did and it take off that fast? It did. Yeah, it. Uh, I think it was only out for four or five weeks, and it just rocketed to number one. And it was something like I don't remember the exact um, verbiage of it. It was like the the first time a new artist debut song went number one that quickly or for that amount of time, something like that. But it was, it was record breaking in the Christian industry at the time. And so when we, uh, when we finally left truth, I mean, we stepped onto a stage with a built-in audience. So there was like no lag time. It's like, we didn't have to start all over again. Mm -hmm. We had people, you know, we had people just jamming um, the concert venues uh, when we come in just because of our first two or three songs in our first album. So it was, it really worked out well and not a lot of artists get that opportunity. Well, um, who are the other guys in for him? We had, we obviously had been talking about you, but there's, there's four of you guys. And so who are the other guys that are part of the group? Well, there's Mark Harris, uh, Kirk Sullivan and Marty McGee. And we all met around 1987. That's when we all kind of joined the group truth together. And you couldn't pick four more different guys to to put together in a group i mean we were all completely different completely different voices and somehow it worked yeah because when when you guys are all vocally blended together you can't it's really tough to figure out who's doing what part it's a very it's a very natural blend yeah it's odd because um we all fill a different sonic space with our voices you know, uh, we, we, we really round out a sound, but then there's enough. Um, and I think this is because we did so many shows together before we did a for him album, um, is that we, we knew how to combine our voices to make something that you wanted to hear. Yeah. There was already a, there was already a skill element to kind of knowing where the pieces fit. Right. And not kind of trying to force something in. It, it reminds me of like like when you listen to Queen, how when when all those voices come together, they're four very different voices. But when they blend together, it's you kind of can't tell who's singing yeah. what part. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Well, the voice is the first instrument, right? I mean, right. if you think about it, 
um, we were using our voices before we ever made sound with anything else. There's something about the right group of voices coming together and you can have great songs, you can grab great players, you can have great producers, but when you've got those voices, it can come together and make that unique sound. That's really, in my opinion, what drives a great band. Yeah. So yeah, you've got the four of you guys and um, did you kind of have like more of a, a revolving door of like session musicians? Like were, were there kind of some guys instrumental wise that kind of followed you throughout your career? Um, yes and no. I mean, we had some producers that, um, you know, that we started out with and then picked up later on that, that, that kind of followed us all the way to the end. Um, as far as musicians go, no, not really. It was just whoever was, you know, the A players in Nashville at the time, we always tried to experiment record to record with, uh, different, different types of players and, you know, different producers would have different favorites. And, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, what's funny was, uh, I remember when what, Dan Huff, I don't know if you guys know who Dan Huff is, but kind of a legendary um, uh, player and, and country and country and rock producer. He was, he was like the A guitar player in, in Nashville at the time. And uh, one of our producers was able to snag him. And then man, the other producers would like go, Oh, if they have Dan Huff. We have to have Dan Huff on our record because he just would elevate you know, on the songs that we were producing, because uh, he would just elevate the sound to this different level. Uh, same thing with drummers and bass players. And but every every producer had their guys. You know, Michael Martin had his guys. Don Cook had his guys. Peter Wolf had his guys. Um, you know, so you you kind of just trusted the producer that you worked with mm-hmm. to put the right uh, group of guys in the studio together. How how quickly after? after your first couple stuff went number one, how much longer did you stay with truth before you decided to all strike out on and do your own thing? Well, we kind of had a, a, a game plan in mind. Uh, we knew because we, we, we started booking dates while we were still on the road with truth. So we, you know, we were six or eight months out having dates booked, but I, I think our, our first song, in fact, I'm, I'm in my office slash studio right now, looking around at the, number one plaques on the walls. And I believe that where there's faith, our very first song went number one uh, in August. No, April. That's right. April of 1990. And then we hit the road and left truth and went out on our own uh, in August of 1990. So what is that? May, June, July. Yeah. A little over three months. So about three months after our yeah. first song went number one. Hmm. Was it hard putting together like a tour that quickly? No, because, well, here's the thing. We, again, Truth was, when you think about a group like Truth doing three, 330 plus shows a year, uh, that's a lot of concert venues that know who you are. Uh, a lot yeah. of churches, we played a lot of churches and they all knew who we were. So if they're going to have, if they're going to have Truth in, well, you know, doggone they're gonna have the yeah. band that just went number one that's a part of truth they're gonna have them back in mm-hmm. next time they book a concert so booking was actually really really easy we had we booked you know i told you we did over 330 shows one year yeah we did 220 shows our first year as for him and we thought we were we were slacking <laughs> we're, we're looking at our booking agent going that's all you can do <laughs> 
So uh, tell me about the experience working with Michael Amardian. So if you don't know who Michael Amardian is, go look him up. I mean, he's he's one of the most prolific pop producers ever. Uh, the guy is, man, he played. I mean, if you, you go all the way back to when he was a session player, he played he played piano on Your Mama Don't Dance uh, by uh, Loggins and Messina. He played uh, keys on, on I think, on Hey 19 for Steely Dan. He played accordion. He's the accordion player on Piano Man for Billy Joel. His wow. big claim to fame was that he produced, co-wrote and produced the entire Christopher Cross record. You know, had Sailing yeah. and Ride Like the Wind. And yeah, he's got, you know, he's got Grammys and, and, um, and he's got an Oscar because uh, the theme from Arthur. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that he produced, he produced that song. So he's got a, He's got an Oscar for that. Uh, he did the Donna Summer record. She works hard for the money. He, he did that whole record. Uh, he did, man, he did a Rod Stewart record. He did part of a Kenny Loggins record. He was, the dude was everywhere in the, in the late seventies and early eighties. And just, you know, and I, you know, I, I mentioned the Imperials earlier. He did like the two, in my, in my opinion, greatest Imperials records. Uh, one more song for you. And um, uh, shoot, what's the name of the other one? Um, oh, Priority. And they're just, they're fabulous albums, just the way they sound. And we were just like, man, if we could ever work with Michael Amartian, that would be the coolest thing. Oh yeah, he produced uh, a bunch for Amy Grant and did some country stuff. So uh, we just one day our, our label was like, who do you want to work with on the next record? And we're like, Omar, we want to work with Omar. And it worked out that he had time in his schedule. And it, we just became really, really close friends with him. And he's still just one of the, one of the greatest people I've ever met. One of the greatest musicians ever. Um, so, and we just kind of ran with him. We, we, I think we, uh, we started working with him on our fourth studio album, I believe. And he produced all the way to the very end. We never did another record without him. Wow. Yeah. The, when you when you started telling me about all this stuff, so I, I'll kind of talk a little bit about kind of my experience with for him growing up. Um, I mean, obviously, you guys were already into it when I was born because you said you guys started in 1990. I was born in 92. And so – and you guys went until I was about 12 or 13 years old, so like – a big chunk of the first half of my life is, was, you know, for him, you know, going on tour with you guys, riding in the tour bus, getting on the airplane, sitting backstage, playing my game boy while you guys were singing. (laughs) And just like, because of the fact that you already were in really in the swing of it by the time I was born, it was just, it was very normal to me. And it was just one of those things where I never really thought about it. It was like I knew that you did something that not everyone else did, but it, it kind of – and also I just – I didn't have the musical appreciation. It was just kind of like, oh, that's dad's music. Yeah. And once I really started to become a, a music historian and started to really um, get into not just great music but kind of the all the stories and, you know – getting into what makes a, a group sound great. And when I, when I came 
back to your guys' music a couple years ago, it was just like, oh my gosh, like I this this is all the music and the songs are just making so much more sense to me. It was almost like I was hearing them for the first time again. Because I just it was it was with a new it was like a new brain and new ears were hearing them. Yeah. Because it was through this filter of kind of everything that I had learned. And um it was just it was really interesting to especially and then when you started telling me about the guys that you were working with about Omar and and uh, some of the session players that you it was just almost, it was it was kind of like my brain was exploding a little bit I was just like oh my gosh we were talking the other day um, we'll, and we'll bring this up when we get to the the song segment about one of the drummers you had and it just it clicked I was just like well that's why the drums sound so familiar on this song. <laughs> I was just like, there could, it couldn't be anyone but him. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way, Lucas. You know, I, uh, every, every now and then I'll go back and listen intentively, uh, to some of our earlier, um, some, well, it's all of our early work right now, because we haven't done a record in, in almost, uh, 16 years, 17 years. But, um, I go back and listen to that stuff and go, wow, that was actually really good. Like I, you're in it. Mm-hmm. And when you're in it, you don't, you don't really recognize uh, yeah. Just how monumental what you're doing is. You're you're just trying to get to the next day, get to the next show, um, get to the next album. But I, you know, even I go back and listen and just go, wow, that's actually really good. The songwriting's really good. The performances are really mm-hmm. good. So yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, Lucas, when you're in it and when you're around it, you don't see it for what it is until you're able to step away and look back at it. Speaking of yeah. onto the next. Uh, album we sometimes we talk about bands and each like them having like phases do you feel like for him like was was trying different things per record or did for him kind of have like a like in the early years we were more this mentality and we changed more to this or was it pretty consistent going through you know not really Ethan, I, I think that um because what we did was so popular and so successful we rode that we rode that that horse. Uh, uh, I think the only thing that really changed was the the more records we sold, the the more money the record company gave us to make records. Yeah, <laughs> and and you, we're like, wait, wait, we can spend how much? Well, then let's go after this guy. Let's go, let's re- go record in Austria. Let's go record, you know, <laughs> let's let's go to all these crazy places and record because we can. So that's probably the only thing that that changed. I think from record one and. And you know we were so young when we started. I was, I was twenty four maybe, twenty four years old. The other guys were a few years older than me uh, when we started that first record. But I, I can hear us develop as musicians, as vocalists, as communicators mm-hmm. through the you know just through the life of our discography. And you get to a certain point and just go. That was probably the pinnacle right there. That moment was the best we ever sounded, the best music we ever did. And then you can kind of see the edges around that, you know, mm-hmm. see where we went from there and what got us to that point. I feel like I can kind of almost maybe kind of break your career up into three phases. And I feel like the it's more, it's less about kind of the songs being made, but kind of more of the way that they've sounded. Cause like the first three records definitely have a very specific sound to them. Right. You can you can feel this 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 rising um kind of like each each record is getting better, the songs are getting better and the then, sounds are getting better. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then definitely, you know, when Omar comes and you do the ride, which that fourth record, it's it's whenever I was going through my research and listening, it was like I heard the last bit of Basics of Life and then you go to the ride and it's literally like kind of going and this is not to disparage, but it's kind of almost going from black and white to color. It's yeah. just everything just pops. And it's just the the sound is so rich and you can tell that the the guys that are playing with you are some of the best out there and it's just like oh okay so that's just like when the i would say like the ride to obvious is kind of like the second phase well think about it think think about this think about going into a house that costs one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, right yeah and and then walk into a house that costs two million dollars yeah and you see the difference. You go, oh my gosh, the 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 just just what you're able to do mm-hmm. with that even amount if, of money, even right? If the square footage is the same. Exactly. Still. Yeah, that's what you're hearing. You know, you again. I, I don't know that. Um, you know, the four of us stayed the same. The message didn't change that much. You know, our concerts didn't change that much. But it was when we were able to spend a lot more money on a lot. You know, just not even better not even better producers or better people in the studio because, you know, I, I you're splitting hairs if you're saying one producer is better than another. But yeah. when you can pour more money into it, uh, I'll tell you this, uh, one of the big reasons why those records started sounding so much better was because we hired Tom Lord Algae to mix for us. And Tom Lord Algae, if you go, if you do a search on him, I mean, the dude is prolific, like probably, uh, you know, all – the um uh shoot who's the guy that um that did the record higher love um oh uh, steve winwood yeah steve winwood basically he's the mastermind behind that record oh wow and the just just what he was able to create and uh again his his discography and his credits are just mind-blowing when you bring a guy like that in on the back end of great performances, great songs, great production. Now you have that million dollar home that you always dreamed of. And it just makes everything else stand out a lot more. So that's what, that's what success and and more money can bring you in, in making a record. And, you know, if you want to go back to why does worship music not sound as good as some of this stuff, you know, 20 years earlier, well, a lot of it's money. A lot of it is you have the money to hire the best people to do the best work that they that they can do. Hmm. Yeah, that de- that definitely makes a difference. Yeah. Um, who are who are some of the the coolest musicians that you've gotten to work with? Some of the some of the guys that have come in and played some songs with you guys. Well, I will say that you know, again, Michael Amardian, number one, is the best keyboard player I've. I've just ever been in, a, in the same room with just mind blowing. He was, um, Lucas, I was telling you this story a few days ago. We we had a break, uh, during a session one time and he got on a little whirly over in the corner of the studio and started playing all these jazz chords <laughs> and, and about, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds into the song, we realized he was playing, um, he was playing sailing from Christopher Cross. They're like, oh my gosh, you totally hid that song in that jazz progression. And then he's like, yeah, see if you can figure this one out. And then it was this Peter Cetera tune. Next time I fall in love. 
and he was playing that one like oh we so we recognize it we must have done that for an hour and just had the best time of of him being a master at the keyboard so just always being in the room with him and watching what he could come up with was great uh vinny caliuta played on several songs for us and uh yeah he was sting's drummer for a long time and just a legendary uh session player one of the great drummers of all time um uh um yeah, uh, Manu Kache played on a song for us when we were out in Austria and he you know, he played for Peter Gabriel for a long time and uh again, just another legendary drummer. Uh he, that was a lot of fun. Again, guys like Dan Huff and um uh you know, um uh, Chris McHugh you know, when I go out uh, and see secular concerts, like uh, I, I went and saw um, Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald a few years ago and bought tickets with my friends, sat about two-thirds of the way back. And when I when the bands came out on stage, I'm like, oh, my God, I know everybody on stage. They've all played on my our records, Chris McHugh on drums and and uh, uh, Carl Hergesell on keys and uh, Mark Douthit on sax and Gary Lunn on bass and uh, Chris Rodriguez on guitars and backing vocals. The, all these guys are just are friends of ours and have all played on our albums. And, and I'm just like, why did I buy a ticket? I could have called any one of these guys to, <laughs> and yeah, it was so uh, again, a lot of the guys that we played with, um, man, there's so many of them out there now that there are doing, shows with secular artists and uh i don't know man there's too many too many to to count but uh, if you have to say who's the most incredible musicians i've ever been around michael lamartian hands down yeah it was it was really cool to hear like i probably knowing learning that manu Kache played on one of your songs was kind of like that was like really geeky moment for me <laughs> just it's just like this is the guy that played on sledgehammer and um and watching him play on uh on the secret world that you showed yeah. me and thank you yeah, for that. that was our that was yeah that was our that was a once a year thing we had to watch that once a year you know we used to watch that video um that was kind of our our ritual when we'd leave the parking lot on a new tour <laughs> uh, we when we get on the bus and and leave that parking lot for our first uh, show date of a tour we'd all watch secret roll live to kind of to kind of get us in the mood to go back out and tour again which i've i've watched some of your uh live videos that uh-huh. are on youtube and it's i can really feel a lot of that like just how everything is not i wouldn't say choreographed but it's like kind of there's there's a there's an intention to the movements it's not everyone out there just kind of walking around doing what they want to do like there's there's very much this um this performance aspect like kind of it's it's it was very interesting to see and kind of now thinking back to see i was just like i can see where that where that influence is connected oh yeah we're all products of what we consume none of us are originals and you can always break somebody down by their influences mm-hmm. yeah well um i think that this is a good time to go ahead and take a break here when we come back we are going to talk about the six songs that we have picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast, everyone. We've been talking about for him, and we have our special guest, Andy Christman, a member of the band, to talk about the band. And now it is time to get to the six-song segment. If you want to listen to any of these songs, look in the description. There's a link to a Spotify playlist, which has not only these songs, but all of the songs for all of our episodes. So be sure to check that out at some point. It'd be a shame if you listen to the whole podcast and not the songs. But without further ado, it is time to get into our first song, which is off of The Ride, which is Wings. Yeah, so this is the uh, this is the lead-off track to the record. And I had kind of gone between a couple of different songs to start, but then this one just kind of felt right. It's this... It, I felt that this is a song that if you had no idea who For Him was, this one's going to hook you. Because it's, again, I don't, I don't like the term of, of sounds good for Christian. Like, this is a song that I just immediately want to kind of put in, put out there. Hey, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this sounds good. This sounds like a, like a, like a pop record. It, you know, it gives off a real Steely Dan so what's interesting about that song is that's the first there so there weren't a lot of secular producers producing christian music Mm -hmm. and so we hired a guy named peter wolf who had produced wang chung um starship he produced that starship record um with uh we built the city and sarah uh nothing's gonna stop us now uh uh, he had produced Heart in the in the early '90s, just a really great resume. And we went to his studio in LA and produced this. Had the Jerry Hay horns come in and lay down horn tracks. It was just a party. It was something we had never been a part of before. And and there's there's a lot of joy in that song just because mm-hmm. uh, we were just like, where are we right now? This is so cool. We're just we're we're. <laughs> We're getting to work with legends in the industry. So you said you told me that uh, this is one of the songs that Vinnie Cagliotta plays on. Yes, correct. And I mean, as soon as you heard it, because I mean, you've got that drum intro, and it's just—I think now it's just like only Vinnie could have pulled off that drum track. <laughs> yeah, just a master. Mm-hmm. Um, you had you had told me a story about they had filmed him uh, doing the drum take for this yeah. song. Yeah. So it was, so at Peter's house, he used his garage as the drum booth. And so they had to set up a, a camera so they could communicate with the mm-hmm. drummer. And, um, when they started the song, Vinny was, you know, obviously playing along. And when they finished the song, they looked out when they finished the take, they looked out and saw that Vinny was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they're like, hang on a second you didn't you didn't start the take smoking a cigarette how did you and if you listen to the song you're like where did he have time to light a cigarette <laughs> and you know that's just that's the geniuses find a way to do whatever they want to do and so it's just it was mind-blowing you know to to to, to see a guy at that level be able to pull something like that off and we yeah. used the take yeah <laughs> um so Something, something of a also of a disclaimer. Um, there's going to be a little bias in some of the song. Uh, well, really, all the songs that I picked, they're going to be ones that feature you very strongly. Oh, thanks, son. 
just because you know you're you're the guest on here and uh and you're my dad so so are these truly your favorite six favorite songs or are we slanted here a little bit well so i usually put this disclaimer um it's i don't just pick my six favorites or what i think are the objectively six best pretty much my goal with the songs is that if you've never listened to this group before here is a set of songs to convince you to uh to investigate them further as well as picking and sequencing songs to where they make sense they transition well there's an emotional direction that it's taking you on and that at the end of the last song there's kind of like a a catharsis a release of emotion okay all right i see where you're going and were then you, and then were kind you of the primary vocalist i know that it was like a four piece but like were you more like featured than the other guys you talk about overall in the group yeah see no i know and that's, that's we, probably we, not fair to it's say, not we weren't but. really allowed to say that there was a lead singer of the group right uh just for pr sake and yeah. i think maybe for the health of the band and, and i would say really no if you listen to the records all the way through if you listen to all the records mm-hmm. we're, we're all pretty well represented uh, cool. lead vocally and we made a point to do that yeah. now i will say that um, Mark Harris and I probably had the the lion's share of singles that went out mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. It just worked that we sang the songs that were big on Christian radio. Yeah. So I, you know, it's it's a, it's hard for me to answer yeah, that question. It's funny because a lot of times when I go do solo dates, they'll say they'll introduce me as a lead singer for him, and I'm like, eh, okay. If you want to say that, that's fine. <laughs> Not quite true, but I know what you're saying. And for those of you guys listening to the song, um, Dad is the guy with the really high voice. So, story. Like high voice. And 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 I mean, and definitely on wings. Yes. You, you hit pretty. Wings. You you hit some crazy notes on that song. Peter was great in the studio, just to really push me past what I was comfortable doing, and that you know, Christian radio which in turn with Christian producers were pretty safe. You were, there were a lot of boundaries that you, you just didn't cross and Peter didn't come from that world. Yeah. So he pushed us to do things that really were exciting and a little bit uh, scary mm-hmm. <laughs> vocally and musically. Can you give some that, examples on this, uh, like on the record? Well, yeah. So, I mean, uh, do you want me to sing them or just talk no. about them? I mean, up to you. I mean, go for it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to sing them. No, not at this age. I, I could probably hit those notes. I know I could hit those notes 30 years ago. Not now. Um, it wouldn't be pretty. But just just to really sing in a in a more aggressive tone. Yeah. To uh, to, to to have more of a of a guttural um, mm-hmm. approach to singing a song instead of you know a lot of what you sang in Christian music just had to sound like Christian music. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You didn't do a lot of like crazy guitar solos and you know, you just, you played for the Christian radio audience for the most part. Peter was like, I'm playing to a pop audience. So let's make yeah. a pop tune, not a Christian music tune. So to be able to push you to do some things. Now I will say Peter did try to push us to change the lyrics on, a couple of our songs and he's like man you'll sell a lot more records if you change the word jesus and god to love 
and and girl or babe. Yeah. And we we're just like, yeah, that's not who we are. That's not, you know, I get why you'd say that, but uh, that's just not that's not who we are. But he did push us mm-hmm. in a lot of directions that that the other uh, producers we work with wouldn't do. One of the biggest things that I noticed, because again, this is this is the fourth record, right? This is kind of uh, this was your first record with Omar, and and really you can kind of see that there, there's a transition there. And one of the biggest things I had noticed was your change in vocal style, because a lot of the songs that you had sung on those first three records definitely had a more gentler sound to them. Mm -hmm. You sung in, I noticed you sung in kind of a a falsetto a lot, or you kind of got a lot of the slower songs. And then just immediately with wings, it's just like, it's almost like a brand new singer has just emerged. And I don't know if that was a producer pushed me that direction. And they're the producers were a big part of that, but also you just, I believe in tipping points that you can do, Mm when you work on something for so long, there's a tipping point where you, and you you never know where that's going to be. And all of a sudden you just, your mindset shifts or you get it, or you, um, you know, something, you cross a boundary where you go, Oh, I didn't realize that was possible. And a lot lot of that happens in concert. And we were road dogs, man. We, Mm -hmm. you know, we probably average 150, 175 shows a year. So you're singing a lot and you're doing two, two and a half hour shows. And you just learn more about yourself. You take more chances on the road. And then you take, once you can break some barriers in concert, then you take that to the next record. And that's Mm -hmm. probably what a lot of that was about, Lucas, uh, hearing my voice change during that time. Yeah, a lot of it was because of Peter Wolf and Michael Amartian. But I think that, you know, the songwriting was continuing to get better and our shows were getting better. We were getting better as vocalists while we're doing those shows and that translated into you know the records that would follow yeah uh ethan and grant kind of what 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 are your reactions and kind of observations of of wings whatever what what was standing out to you guys whenever the song started again i'm coming from my my idea of for him is on a certain song in the set list and like and probably the baggage of other CCM from that time. So whenever I first listened to it, and it started out with that freaking like funk guitar line and that yeah. like drum beat, I was just like, "What the heck?" <laughs> and then that that but like that synth bass thing came in, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is nothing!" Like I thought it, this yeah, does not sound at all like I was expecting it to sound. No, I. I... I was pleasantly surprised because I was, I was envisioning what is on like Christian radio now, which kind of, I don't want to say it bores me, but here it's I am strongly good. implying that, you know, it's not, it's not great. It's would just, you say, it, would you say homogenized? It's not musically <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Homogenized. There you go. It, that word is too yeah. fancy for me. Yeah. What, what, yeah that um no and and ethan was right when the song started it was like this weird not quite four four groove i'm like oh man okay this is something like interesting to my musician side of myself so it was like it was a happy moment of like Uh, we're not going to be talking about a band that's like (laughs) every song is the same you know 
Grant, what's funny is that uh, we did a 25th anniversary tour a few years ago, and we took out uh, some players with us that were, you know, weren't weren't guys that would have ever toured with us in the past. Mm-hmm. And they're used to playing worship music or CCM music from today, and they really struggled with with the musicianship <laughs> on these songs <laughs> that were from yeah. the mid nineties. They were just like, man, we had to work our tails off they to learn to these learn songs and make forward, them. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about in our ghost episode about how he is, is essentially a, a worship song for the other side. And it's so sad that that's such a great song. And yet, I wish like, and Lucas said this too, that we both wish that worship music was like that, you know. Where it's for, just musically neutral. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. And this this is this is kind of, I assume, what Lucas was referring to. Yeah, it's just kind of like, I mean, you know, I understand why it is the way it is. And I don't, I don't want to say like, you shouldn't listen to, you know, modern worship, but it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's just so different it's the 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 vehicle is because it's i mean you know the primary i feel the primary motive behind a lot of songwriting is what songs that we can easily make available for churches around the world that have you know that have volunteer players yeah that's true you know you're you're exactly right you i also feel like it's like listening to wings sounds like I mean, it's what Andy was saying with like you use pop producers because Christian music wasn't its own like genre. Like Christian music didn't have a sound like DC talk was doing rap, but it was Christian, you know, for him is doing pop, but it's Christian. And now it's like whenever you say Christian, it has like a sonic stereotype to it. Yeah. It's like Christian music has turned into a genre, which is Mm -hmm. weird. Like coming back and listening to this where it's like, you can hear like you can hear the times it not in a bad way not that it's dated it's just like the horns are there and they sound really good the synth bass is in there it sounds really good the guitar line is like on like it sounds really good and it's not like oh like you know christian Mm -hmm. like if you took out all the if you took out all the vocal tracks like anyone could have like you could have written any kind of song over this and it would have been good. Yeah. Yeah. So this this was one of your number one singles, correct? Correct. Yes. And uh real quick before we move on, um, you also have a co lead vocalist. So who was the other guy that sang with you on this one? That was Kirk Sullivan. Okay. Yeah, he and I shared lead on that one. Yeah. Just I, I keep forgetting that not a lot of people that are gonna be listening to it are gonna know. So I gotta I got to remember to say, oh, who's who's singing with you here, there, and so we can identify, kind of what? put voices to the names. What is, yeah. what is the song actually about? Wow, you're asking me the hard questions now. Um, <laughs> I think it's just about it's about freedom. Uh, to be honest with you, I'd have to go back and listen to it, guys. <laughs> um, I, to, to me, it sounded it's it sounds like it's just about almost kind of like soaring up to a higher place and and kind of you know with with the intention being that god is leading you to higher and better things i'm you know what you sing dad in the chorus of i'm ready to fly away leave my troubles behind it's you know it's it's trusting god to take you to uh to a new and better place 
right you're i think you're right you're all over it i also think we would be remiss uh about it like the three after the sax solo at like the three minute 10 mark there's that sick like horn line that comes in on that off time part the modulation oh yeah oh key changes get ready oh we did some great key changes why does christian music not do key changes yeah they have to move their capos can't <laughs> good one i mean there's, there's a place for music like that and it's really nice for beginner musicians to be able to lead worship because that makes it a whole lot easier for each church to put on their own worship service but in in doing that i think you know christian music as a whole has left the christian musician the christian musician behind you know where and this music is like they feel for that i think that christian music now thinks that their audience is stupid yeah god (laughs) that's a bold statement Hmm. like they're like about on that one i wouldn't go that down let's have the same words repeated over and over let's never do a key change because that's hard to sing we need people to be able to latch on to it because and they could never latch on to a key change they could never latch on to uh, I will say, uh, let me let me let me tell you this, Ethan. I will tell you if you dig enough, you'll find some really good worship music out there. That is, the musicianship is great, the songwriting is great. There's a band called Citizens that uh, I just I love everything that they do, That's and awesome. they there's some there's some really good stuff out there. You just kind of have to dig for it. And mm-hmm. and you're right, it's 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 made for the lowest common denominator so that everybody can play it everybody can sing it and i think there's a there's there's value in that it just doesn't scratch the musician itch of of getting better and doing something unique and pushing the envelope well said i th- we'll, 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 we're going to definitely have to move on to the next song yeah. we spent 20 <laughs> minutes of the song uh let's go on to our second song measure which of is a man. measure of a man so this was definitely one of your guys' biggest hits. Yeah, it was for sure. I remember hearing this song the first time. This was one of those songs where yeah, this happened to me two or three times. As soon as I heard it and hit the chorus, I went, that's my song. I'm singing that song. You have to fight me over it. Um, How did your songwriting process go? Like, like when yeah. is the process, are you like, are you like, oh, that's mine? Like, do you have like an acoustic version of it first or does the producer build the song out and then you listen to it with like a scratch on it or what it was all different it, yeah a little bit of everything depending on who the the songwriter was uh, different songwriters you know didn't do much more than you know a piano and acoustic guitar and a vocal some songwriters would produce it all the way out which i personally didn't like because it would it would taint the yeah i think the objective of of where this not taint the objective but taint the idea of where the song could go yeah i always wanted to start with a little more of a blank slate uh with just the melody and the progression and and a kind of a blue sky of where we could take it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah i just you would hear lots of different stuff i mean there there are a couple of songs i would just you know all they had was maybe part of a verse and a chorus and you would know instantly that's going to be a hit song that's a song. Just finish it. We're doing that song. Um, and we had our favorite writers. A guy named Billy Simon wrote a lot of songs for us. Of course, Mark Harris, Don Cook, Dave Clark, 
those guys wrote a, a bunch of the songs when Michael Martin came in, he jumped on this in the songwriting group with a lot of the guys that wrote for us. So uh, when I heard measure of a man, I knew I had to sing it because I was the shortest guy in the group. I've always kind of been the, the youngest. I was, I've always been the youngest guy. I've kind of been the kid brother mm-hmm. everywhere I've gone my whole life. And I, to say I had little man's disease might be exaggerating, but I always felt like the the runt of the bunch. Like yeah. I always had to prove myself. I was a guy who came in the group that didn't have the music degree. I didn't have the credentials. I, you know, I was the I was kind of the last one at the table in a lot of the a lot of the things that we did. And to hear a song about, um, I say the measure of a man is not how tall you stand. How um, or the lyrics. Uh, how wealthy, how wealthy or intelligent you are, mm-hmm. and and it just resonated with me. And Lucas, your your grandpa, that was his favorite song of all time. Oh wow! And uh, we sang that as at his funeral. I mean, that was that was his life song. And and so many people mm-hmm. that I've met over the years, that has just become an anthem for them. And so that that song was was important in a lot of ways. But for yeah. me, I knew I like my my spirit latched onto that song like that's mine. I'm going to sing the crap out of it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a really well put together song. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. um, my four year old son, Harry, like is obsessed with it. <laughs> that's the true measure of a great song. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into, I always do a segment in our last part uh, called Harry's pick. Cause he always <laughs> listens to these songs with me and he has his favorites. Yeah. Um, I remember a lot of the time when I was with you on tour, you would have me come up on stage uh-huh. and yeah. I would, I would stand up on a little stool and I would, I would stand there for the whole song until it got to the measure of a man at the end of the chorus. And I would just lean in the mic and I'd go, man. and I would just hear like everyone go. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was just looking, I was just like, can I leave now? <laughs> I being, yeah, I was like I was like four or five years old when that song came out. You were a production element, Lucas. We knew we'd have the the audience go crazy when we brought one of our kids out on stage. Yeah, I'm okay, I'm so, okay with that. So, so thanks for that. You got. We always sell way do. more t-shirts. We'd sell way more t-shirts when, when we brought you out on the road. You should have had a, a t-shirt with Lucas's face on it. We should have. <laughs> I got a lot of Beanie Babies because of yeah, you did. Oh, Beanie Babies. Yep. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a really fun song and again, it's just what's what's so fun to kind of look back now again with my more trained ears is is the the really intense work y'all put into your background vocals. That was our signature for sure. And that's probably what I'm most proud of of what we did. We you know, go back to our influences of the you know, you listen to the Eagles and bands like the Little River Band and um atlantic um um atlanta shoot i'm 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 stumbling on my words here (laughs) atlantic atlanta rhythm section um bands like that that just their vocals vocals were so tight even even like steely dan and Mm -hmm. um you know just just the stuff we grew up on we wanted to we wanted our bgvs to be something special and memorable like those guys were. And, and we felt like we were one of the only bands that could do that at the time. Yeah. And so we got, really pushed the limit on it. 
And it was not just that the BGVs were tight, but also just like they didn't do the expected melodies or the expected rhythms. It was always yeah. very creative. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, I appreciate that. That 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 makes me feel really good because that's what we always wanted. And we felt like that was a talent that we had for sure. Like, yeah, it's definitely not an afterthought. It's it's yeah. something that it's almost as important as the lead vocal yeah. of just really making sure that it's coming in at the right spot, that it's the right harmony. And that was that was one of the most fun things to kind of rediscover is just going, man, this was very finely crafted. Well, at that point, your vocals become um, extra instruments on the song. Yeah. They're not just voices. They're, they're mm-hmm. instruments that can do stuff that other instruments can't do. Yep. And, and I imagine that stems from the fact that all four of you are lead vocalists. Right. That you're thinking about your harmonies not as being, you know, because if you have one vocalist in a band, they'd put the BGVs as just complementing their lead vocal to make that right. one line look good, which is like that's what BGVs really do. But when you put a little bit of extra thought into this is my particular part, and you can tell me whether this is, you know, your thought process or not, but if, you know, this is my particular line, I want it to be nuanced and creative and really, you know, lead the song somewhere different then it. I, I would assume that leads to something that you're a little bit more proud of, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And another thing, Grant, that I'm really proud of is that for, except for maybe, maybe two songs i could be wrong two songs that we recorded our entire discography we did all of our own vocals we didn't have anybody else come in and supplement oh it was just us i think there may be three songs that we did out of 120 130 songs that that we recorded that we had other vocalists come in and 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 join us we did everything ourselves that's a pretty good ratio that's pretty yeah wow also, um, just in timeline perspective, so this is on the album The Message, mm-hmm. which was the album after The Ride. Um, so I, I kind of always saw this as this was, this was kind of like, I feel like this was the moment where you guys were at your biggest. And we were, I, yes. I mean, and I mean, just the, the every song on that record is just, it it hits you hard. It's a It's a really fantastic that and the ride are kind of just both of those records are just like you listen to them and it's not just that the songs are good but like every song is very different from each other and has something unique and cool going on about it so for those of you that want to get more into i really recommend those two records (laughs) so let's go ahead and move on to the to the third song which is real thing this is we're going back to the ride for this one. I well, I have great memories of this song. This was my first. This was my first lead. At, well, you know, it was the first song that we did with Michael Amardian. So I remember wow. being. He was recording out at Amy Grant's ranch. She had a, she had like a barn, out at her place uh, with a studio in it, and it's where they recorded a lot of that. Um, um, her big album that went secular. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, I have a picture of me uh, out there. Yeah. So uh, a lot of great music was made out there, but it was the first time. So if you know anything about recording, there were, comping a vocal was not was not a thing. Like uh, before we met Omar, 
you would sing a lead vocal until you got it right. Like you would, I remember there was one song that I sang with another producer on the same album and it took, no, I'm sorry. It was two albums before took nine hours, Mm. nine hours to record one lead vocal because you just had to go back and get everything right. Punch, punch it in, punch it in, get it right. Get it exactly the way you wanted it. This was the first time I ever did a vocal where it was comped, where um, Omar had me just sing the song through maybe six, seven times. And he went, okay, head out to lunch, come back in a couple hours. We'll have, we'll have this thing comped. And I would, and I came back in and we maybe punched, you know, two lines somewhere in the song and we were done. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. But it was a different way of attacking a vocal. Like I really felt like I was on stage singing the song and getting the emotion of the song going forward and real thing just, man, it just was, it was a turning point for me as a vocalist to say, I, man, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of good at this. Like, <laughs> not, not that I, 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 I wasn't before, but I was like, man, I like working with this guy. I feel legit. Um, you know, that was, that was a great experience. Yeah. I, I actually really, uh, resonate kind of with what you're saying with that recording style. Cause when we were doing the cover songs, we started out doing how you said to where we would punch every line. We would just take mm-hmm. it one line at a time, do four takes of it and then just kind of figure out which one's the best one and then move on. And so I was only ever singing one line at a time. Yeah. And then like, I think like the last like three or four that we did, we started at, at rage against the machine, I think. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? Why don't I just do a full take of the song? And yeah. Um, and, and we had and to then, punch one line. Yeah. It was just like, we, we were just like, oh my gosh, that took so much less time. Yeah. And I yeah. felt like I could get, like, I could really feed off the emotion of the song. Exactly. And I was just like, I like this a lot better and it's faster. Right. Yeah. My, my problem is because I'm coming from the philosophy of myself and I don't have the greatest, uh, breathing support so i have to do the one-line punches when i'm doing my own music so it's just it's just unfortunate but right i'm not the only one who thinks that y'all you both have such great breathing support just naturally i mean lucas i assume (laughs) you didn't have the most rigorous you know vocal training no i kind of just honestly i figured it out by learning how to sing queen songs right and and (laughs) I don't know how I didn't hear it. I, cause Andy, you have a very low voice on the recording. And so I'm like, Oh, maybe he's the lowest voice in the, you know, in the mix, but I don't know how I didn't hear it, but this voice, this high voice, Andy, your voice on the, on the songs here sounds just like Lucas in the cover <laughs> songs. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, we... very, it's very high and very pure. Uh-huh. It's, it's really unique. Um, one of my favorite things about this song, and this is, I, I, I love to say that what's, what's the only thing more nineties than a key change, two key changes. <laughs> Were there two key changes in that song? The, yeah. The key changes in this song are ridiculous. Oh, that's right. Because you modulate the, the verse up, and the, second just right. a modulation that's on right. the chorus where you just stay on the five. Yeah. And well, that's Omar. On the, second, on the second verse, you're on the five, and then you just make it minor. 
Yeah. And it's just like, what is happening? Omar like, did that so this, like, many times, times on so many different songs. Like, I was like, did this, did we just change the key? <laughs> he was such a master at that. That's why he was so great to work with. Cause he would take, cause that wasn't, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that wasn't in the original demo. Um, I honestly can't remember, but then you hear what a guy like that does with it. And you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. We're not, you're worth every penny we're paying you at this point. Yeah. Well, that goes back to what you were mentioning with the songwriters leaving it as a blank slate. Cause it's like, yeah. they're there. They try to do the producer's job. Uh-huh. So yep, just that's write, right. Write good words. Write yeah. Good and words. I, and I remember too, you know, we, uh, on this, on this album, uh, we took it into Tom Lord algae to mix and what he was able to do, even with Omar's original tracks to turn it into, and some of the, um, there's a, there's a kind of like a slap clack because mm -hmm. we're living in a real world, <sighs> stuff yeah. like that. Um, and some other little key elements that, that even he would add after the fact in the mix that just took it to this, this pop level to where you're like, I'm listening to a pop song. I'm not listening to a, it's a, I understand, I get the mess, the Christian message in it, but I'm listening to yeah. a, a pop song. And that was just mm -hmm. so exciting to be a part of something like that. Yeah. I also love, I love the lyrics in this song. And this is, this is kind of one of my things to where it's just like listening to all these songs again. And just the, the, difference in lyric writing from what you what you guys did and where we are now mm -hmm. again i'm i'm not gonna say that one is better i think you kind of, i think you need both because you know you you really bring a a almost like a real world like kind of the 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 re, i'm gonna keep saying real because it's it's very true here of just you know that that line of we can get so heaven-minded that sometimes we forget that we're living in a real world yeah. and it's just like you don't hear songs like that that are saying that mm -hmm. kind of message yeah it's it's true. very much about you know directing everything towards heaven which again there's that's not a bad thing but i th i think that a song like this really kind of helps to ground and see that we're not just supposed to look up but we're also supposed to look around us yeah that's good, Lucas. I, I completely agree with you. There's a there's kind of a lost art in writing songs like that. And, you know, Mark Harris, one of the guys in the group, was just, that was his gift. He could come up with those ideas and those hooks. And, um, you know, funny, funny fact, uh, there's another artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman, who was one of the biggest mm -hmm. artists at the time. Yeah. He had a song that had just come out called... Um, uh, I, th I think it was called heaven in a real world. And we were like, Oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> we have to change the name of this song. So I, I think originally, if I'm not mistaken, the song was called Jesus in a real world mm -hmm. and uh, changed it to real thing. And I, I think they came out, you know, not too far from each other, but we ran into the lot, a lot in Christian music. You would kind of hear that the, the Christian music industry was, was small uh, compared to the pop world. And so you had a lot of uh, writers and publishers yeah. that were all co-mingling and you could just kind of tell, man, there was a lot of songs that came out with real similar lyrics and ideas mm -hmm. uh, along the same time. I'm not saying any, anything yeah. shady was going on, but you know, you could, there, there was a lot of chatter in the, the echo chamber. in the air. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's not the, that's not the only time that happened. That happened a lot. 
Mm. Wow. Yeah, just this this song is just so interestingly structured. Um, like you've got that. I love the whole like long kind of coda at the end. It's mm-hmm. there's just there's so many cool um, ideas that really just like the song has time to breathe mm-hmm. and. And again, you've the the fact that you have two key changes and that one of them comes in a place that you're not expecting it Ugh. to come. That that <laughs> post chorus, the Jesus in the real world, it like kind of modulates again. Like whenever that happened, I was just like the stank face initiated. <laughs> I was just like, holy <sighs> crap! Uh, it's funny you say those 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 post uh, post uh, chorus additions we did that a lot actually and that was that was kind of one of our signatures with these songs we would try to build in those moments to have just that one last uh, palette to paint on mm-hmm. and do something that you know that people maybe didn't expect or to yeah. add a something yeah, to even kind of uh-huh. extrapolate and on then the freaking this hard stop into another key change. It's It's funny saying it because it sounds like it's like, well, just put, just do a key change. And it's like, yeah, but it's amazing. It's never going to be, it's never going to get old. It's (laughs) never going to not be good. That's right. No, I agree with you. Grant, what did you, uh, what'd you pull from this song? Man, I, I think Ethan's pulling all the right things is that, the key change is very simple, but sometimes you just got to enjoy the simple things. And also just the fact that, you know, like I said earlier, you don't have key changes in Christian music nowadays. And so I don't, I hate Lucas. Like you're right. I hate using the term as well or the phrase as well that like, Oh, this is good for Christian. But like, you know, that's kind of, that's the elephant in the room, I guess. Why, why did you make the decision to like end it down? That seems like such a, such a not, not left field in a bad way, but it's like you're at this mountaintop after the key change. And then you spend like a minute kind of like, kind of like a 30 second or 20 second fade out. Vibing. I don't know. That's a good question. I think that's probably what we felt at the time. Um, You know, again, Omar always had a grand vision yeah. For every song that he produced and he was very convincing with with what he wanted to do and his track record, you know, you didn't really argue with him. Yeah. So, you know, there's uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't answer that question. Yeah. And that was 20 Yeah. It's a cool 25 story. years ago. Yeah. Might be more of like on the run on the record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. how it leads into the next song. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm glad it that did. you did because it I love to end the first half of my sets with kind of moments like that. Cause it definitely signal, it helps to kind of transition into the back half of the set. Yeah. Cause usually that I kind of even divide the sets into kind of, there's a very specific journey. The first set takes you and then it transitions you into a, in a different mood. And so you helped me out with that. Thanks. <laughs> my pleasure. Um, well, speaking of, I really am excited to talk about this next one because you had said earlier that there was only a couple of times that a guest vocalist appeared on one of your records. And this is one of those times. And this is one of the coolest times. This is the song, uh, the only thing I need. And before you say it, I want to know if Ethan and Grant figured out the mysterious voice, if they know who it's just from hearing it. 
No. Is can Hold I just on. throw out a random name? Can I sure, throw go out ahead. random names? Like multiple? Yeah, go ahead. My first random name is Sting. Mm, it's not Sting. Oh, <laughs> man. That, that, would be cool. that would have been amazing. I was just thinking there. <laughs> Golly. All right, that's my that's my only random name. Ethan, I you don't know idea? what any of the other vocalists of the Nandy sound like. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's also kind of true. But yeah, the the that's a guest vocalist that sings the the only thing I need I already have. It looks yeah that the, this is wait, the wait. one that sounds like it's the guy from Yes. It is. Yo. Yeah. No way. Yep. That's John the Anderson. one that I was like, gosh, this sounds like Yes and Supertramp. And then I came back. I was like, "This sounds like yes and Super Tramp, guys." And it's like, "Oh, cool." I'm listening <laughs> to it right now. So if you gave me to the chorus, I could have figured it out. I literally just got the chorus, man. So tell us about That's that story, Dad. How you guys got to do a song with John Anderson? So it's it's kind of anticlimactic. Um, you know, we we had agreed to do a song for a compilation album based on the book Streams in the Desert. And uh, a, a producer named Brent Bourgeois, who went on to produce uh, uh, some stuff for us, he was in a he had a big hit uh, with Bourgeois Tag back in the I think in late '80s, early '90s. So just really great musician. Well, he was the producer and kind of the 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 brainchild behind this whole project. And it was us and Michael W. Smith and just you know, maybe uh, eight or 10 artists on this album. I, I think even uh, Michael McDonald was uh, saying a tune on it. So we had chosen, you know, mutually had agreed on doing this song. The only thing I need that Brent and somebody else had written. And we got a call. Oh, maybe about two days before we were supposed to fly back to, up to Nashville and do the vocal on it. And he said, guys, I got some really bad news. He said, um, uh, John Anderson of Yes was in the studio next to us. He was good friends with the owner of the studio, and he'd come down to. They were just writing and doing some demos. He'd taken a break uh, in his studio and wandered into where they were cutting tracks for the only thing I need, and he just kind of stood in the back. And after it was over, of course, everybody's just like, "Oh my God!" It's John, John Anderson standing in our studio. So he started talking to him, and John said, "Man, this is a really great song." I've never really heard anything like it. He said, I, I would, I would love to sing a song like this sometime. Well, I mean, Brent's just like, well, what are you doing right now? Why don't you come on in and, and sing on this song? So he goes in and creates all of that, all of that vocal stuff on the record and just basically fills up the tune <laughs> with all that stuff that for him would normally come up with mm -hmm. and fill up. Right. So Brent calls us again, like I said, but a couple of days before we were to fly up to Nashville, he says, guys, I got, I got bad news. John Anderson sang all over the song. There's no room for him. So I'm just, I'm going to pitch this song to, I think he said to Michael W. Smith and you guys can sing this other song. And we were like, hang on a second. We never get to do cool uh, collaborations. It's all these solo artists that get these, you know, ever they bring in these really cool musicians and, and vocalists from, yeah from secular music to come in and guest star on their album. We never get that. And we stood our ground. We're like, we want to do this. Let us come in and try it. And so we did, we came in and, and, and sang around his parts. And it was just, I mean, we're talking about Christian music, but I have to use the word magical. I mean, it was just, we just couldn't believe what we were hearing when we heard it. And uh, it, it's, it's probably my favorite song that we've ever done. 
And so, like really? I said, it's kind of anticlimactic. We never met John. He had, he had flown out the, the day before we got there. Uh, he was supposed to come last minute. We did a showcase when this album released at the Ryman in, in Nashville. And he was supposed to come in and last minute he didn't get on his plane to come down. Oh. So, you know, near misses all the way, but we still have his voice on one of our songs. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's the story. Well, I mean, if you go back and listen to that intro, that's about, it's so yes. That is. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's, it's very reminiscent of, I've seen all good people and um, leave it just all that scatting. And it's, it's just, it's, you can feel uh, John Anderson's fingerprints just kind of all over the arrangement of the song. And I think it really gives, makes it a unique song in your discography because it's, it, yeah, it has the for him sound, but it's, it's in such a different filter. It makes it stand out. Yeah. And when, I remember hearing it for the first time, hearing his, his uh, vocal parts in the studio, just going, how did he come up with that? Like, <laughs> I don't, I've been doing this a long time and I can't figure out how you come up with those parts. I mean, that's just genius. That's on a whole different level. It's such a different way of just even looking at music. Yeah. It shows you just how, you know, you can have the exact same training as someone and they're going to see things completely different. Right. Everyone's for real. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) whenever I listen to this song, not knowing the other guys, I listened to this and I was like, who the heck is this guy? And I was looking, listening back to this stuff. I was like, they haven't been giving this guy enough love. <laughs> I don't know where this guy has been. It's not like your other voice is like, is that him? He sounds terrible. So um, <laughs> way worse than he did. in the only thing I need <laughs> the lead, the lead vocalist at the beginning of the song is Mark. So this is, this is the first right. time that we've gotten to hear Mark's voice and we'll hear it again in the next song. So really, you've got three lead vocalists. We've got Mark, we've got you, and we've got John Anderson. Correct. <laughs> what a lineup. Yeah. yeah, and and a, a big. Re- I was originally going to do the Yes episode later this year, and then when I decided that I was going to do this episode, I was like, "Well, if we're gonna f- if they're gonna fully appreciate this song, we got to do a Yes episode before then." So I kind of like quickly shifted i don't do that very often i'm once i set my schedule i'm usually very strict about it but i was just like we gotta we gotta get them on the yes bandwagon before we do this so that way when when we do only thing i need and we say john anderson you'll be like wait what Mm. instead of who's that do you do you take credit for um being the one responsible for making john anderson sing a christian song technically uh yes yeah, I will take credit for that. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. You got yeah, So here's what's cra- here's here's what's crazy. That song shot right up the charts as soon as it was, re- it was released. By far the biggest mm-hmm. song on that album shot way up the charts fast. It was on pace to be our biggest song ever. Um, and it, it, there were two Christian networks that wouldn't play it because they found out that John Anderson was not only not a Christian but he was involved in this other religion. I can't even remember the name of it. Um, Mother Earth, maybe, who was yeah, some lady like in in Hawaii that he would go make pilgrimages to. And the these two networks were afraid to play it because they didn't want to make their audience angry. 
So it, it was it was kind of sad because the song never actually reached number one. No. And when they realized that these two stations wouldn't play it and they boycotted it, they the label, I was living in Orlando at the time, and the label flew me up one morning to Nashville. I went in for like 90 minutes and recorded all of John Anderson's lead lines and flew back to Orlando, was, was having dinner that night with my family. That's how fast it happened. They got that single out really quick to the other two stations and they played the mess out of it, like just dogged it. But I played the dog out of it, but it was too late. It had already started falling on the charts uh, on all the other stations across the country. So it was kind of sad. You know, you don't want to base your your career yeah. on how many number one songs you had. But, you know, I, if you talk to any of us in the group, we would all look at the only thing I need is probably our, our most – uh, interesting work, and I think maybe one of the best songs we ever did. Yeah. And it got like and it, by it got stymied because there was a non-Christian uh, and and lead. And you know, there are a lot of there were radio stations that had a strict policy: if you're not a professing Christian, we won't play your song on the radio. Uh, you know, it happened when they they had problems when Amy Grant got divorced; they stopped playing her song. When Sandy Patty got divorced, wow. they stopped playing her music. Uh, if anybody had a moral failure, they would just rip their songs right off the, off the, uh, off the air. So that was kind of the the state of the industry yeah. back then, and it that bit us. And it's it's too bad because you know more people could have heard that song and heard John's um, uh, contribution to that in a different way. Mm-hmm. So Ethan and Grant, now that you kind of have that that contextualization of kind of John Anderson and yes, yeah, so. What what are you pulling now from this song? What's kind of what's standing I, the out? Cor- the chorus of this song is so good. I think it's an interesting arrangement too to have like the verses and again like there's a kind of another post chorus like the all I need a little help. like but like the verse is more kind of up and kind of like has the drums in it is groovy and then to like kind of break it down and open it up in the choruses for the like you know whenever john is like the only thing and then like andy's kind of echoing him it's just really good it's just a really good tool to have a chorus that powerful and to not like just push it energy wise and to actually let it kind of let the vocals carry the energy Mm -hmm. and like let the the string arrangement is really good yeah (laughs) it really is just so much random i mean not random in a bad way but it's like the beginning is just this insane vocal part thing, you know, and then to be able to add like it's like bongos in the beginning, like little congas with like a <laughs> da, 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 da. it's just like who thinks of that? It just sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, and then oh man, and the pre-course is good. And then you've got that that brilliant uh, kind of part where it drops out, and then it just punches right back into that vocal part. Yeah. Before it goes to the last chorus, it's just, that's almost like a heaven moment right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grant, yeah. yes. I, I'm i definitely getting a lot of, like, fragile vibes from yeah. this. Because, I mean, we talked about on our Yes episode about how Yes was a lot more of a, a happier, brighter side of Prague compared to, you know, King Crimson or Rush even. And it translates here. I mean, this is this is the major of major keys 
Yeah. <laughs> like even when they go to the minor cor- part of the chord progression, it still feels very upbeat and happy. Even if it's laid back, it still feels very, uh, I guess, blissful is a good way of describing it. And it's, I'm glad you said the word heaven because it does have that feeling of uh, we have heaven. Oh, yeah. Fragile. Yeah. Where it's just, it's so vocally driven that it's just like, oh, man. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. <laughs> Well, um, I think we'll go ahead and move on to the next song. Um, This is Be Thou My Vision. Now, this comes off of your hymns record. And the thing that I've found very interesting is that as because anytime that people found out that uh, you are my dad, it was just they were, oh, man, I love this song. I love this. You know, I saw them in concert, this, this. And. I've found that probably in like the last like 10 years, the majority of people that I have that experience with always say, I love the hymns record the most. I would say, yeah, that in the Christmas record. Yeah. Everybody plays our Christmas record every year, but yeah, it it's definitely become the hymns record is definitely our most sustained popular album. Yeah, this like is the, this is the one song that I I knew. That was really that completely mm-hmm. and, off and did you know? Did you know this arrangement, or just because it's this exact arrangement? Okay. Yeah, because I mean, if you look on Spotify, the majority of of your top songs are from this album, hmm. and wow. and this song in particular is really by far your most played song on Spotify. Well, and I can tell you from my royalty statements. <laughs> that that is absolutely true. <laughs> it's, it's, it is by far our most popular song, probably for the long term that we've ever done. Which is it's interesting because I don't believe that you had any number one hits from this album. No, we didn't. Because so it's it's interesting that kind of your most sustaining work really pop, wasn't as as accepted at the time i don't again i'm, I'm kind of conjecturing here you can elaborate yeah. that. well if you want if you want a little inside backstory to this album uh mm. this was we owed we owed our label one final project classic and <laughs> uh the the language of our contract said and I, I hope i don't get sued for this i don't think i will um the <laughs> Let's yeah. risk it. All right. I'm here. I'm here. I'll just go ahead and say it. The, the language of our contract said that we couldn't do a specialty album like Christmas or compilation or, you know, a covers album. It had to, you know, a hymns record would fall under a specialty or an event album. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the more we talked about it with the label and we've been with them for a long time, they're very gracious to let this be our final uh, album that we did with them. So there wasn't a lot of radio promotion. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, there was, a, there was a, there was a pretty easy push into the marketplace, but you know, that, that just tells you the, the staying power of, of this record is that without radio support and without yeah. a lot of marketing behind it, it's people still found it and continue to find it decades later, which is just blows my mind. Me and my wife have a really funny joke about this song because we went through a little like we were just looking through hymns and stuff 
And um, every other version of this song either has a bagpipe or a flute, but your version <laughs> has both. Yes. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome. That's the, I don't know if you guys were the ones that did it, but it's just like, yeah, this arrangement is is the the go to arrangement. Uh, that's know, all of Michael again. That's all Michael Amarty, and he he would hear all he'd hear the entire arrangement in his head. You know, he he could in five minutes he had the song produced in his head, and uh, you know he produced his whole record, and it just there's so much of it that's just really beautiful. There's so many just interesting arrangements of all these songs, um, like. Um, I'm. I don't think I had ever heard y'all's arrangement of the love of God, mm-hmm. and hearing that, and it's just like it was like, wow, what a. This is so different sounding, and um, on y'all's arrangement of O Sacred Head now wounded, mm-hmm. and um, I had I had heard Savior like a shepherd lead us just because I was one of the ones that. I had remembered listening to when I was little, but like now hearing it again and just going, this is, this is literally strawberry fields forever. Christian version. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Every artist that stays around long enough does a Beatles ripoff. Yeah. It's just kind of like a, you know, it's just kind of like a, a rite of passage. You have uh-huh. to do, a, you have to do a Beatles ripoff at some point in your career. Yeah. I was just hearing the Mellotron and, and the and the trumpet it was just like wow this is very 67 <laughs> beatles and i yeah. loved it um but the only i know that i have been in the studio with you a lot of times cuz cuz you have pictures showing that i was there uh-huh but i only ever have one discernible memory of being in the studio with you and it was when you were cutting this song oh wow yeah. oh. it's the only one i remember i remember it was i believe it was at kirk's house well, it was either at, I don't know if it was at Kirk's house. It may have been, we were still living in Mobile. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it might have been at Integrity Studios downtown. Or, yeah, close to downtown Mobile. That's that You might be remembering that, but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to say you're wrong. We did cut a lot of stuff at, at Kirk's studio in his house. Yeah. And I just I remember I remember seeing Mark doing his part mm-hmm. and recording that, and I just remember I remember hearing that that intro and just going, "This sounds I don't know what that is. That sounds really." I in my little brain I thought that sounds weird, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just and then I and then I heard it, I was just like, "Oh, that's the song they were doing." But yeah, that's the that's the only time I remember being in the studio with you. Wow, and it, it was that specific song. Um, this is, this might be the most just purely beautiful song that you guys have ever recorded. Wow. Like this, this is the song that kind of like every time it comes on, it, it kind of gets me emotional. Hmm. And it's just like, it, yeah. I, I had said before in the previous song, how you have that heaven moment. This is like a heaven moment from like start to finish of just like, mm-hmm. you kind of almost get the feeling of like, when you hear it, it's almost like this is like you can almost like envision heaven. Let me tell you something. When you when you can sing the hymns with passion, there's a reason these songs have been around for hundreds of years because mm-hmm. they're they're solid. Man, they, the lyrics are timeless. And if you can find the heart 
of the lyrics and the heart of those melodies and how they match together. And you can push, you can really push on that. Then you can, you can really, uh, you can affect people's hearts. And that's what you're feeling. I think is because, you know, Mark's a great songwriter. Um, Michael Martian's a good songwriter. A lot of the guys that wrote for us, Billy Simon, great songwriter, Don Cook, great songwriter, but the guys that wrote these hymns, there, there's a reason they've been around for, for mm. hundreds of years is because they're some of the best songs ever written. And I think that's why, again, this record was so popular and stood the test of time, but why a song like Be Thou My Vision, you're not going to see, you're not going to, you're not going to read a more, a more beautiful heart wrenching uh, set of lyrics or poem ever. Mm. And then to p- put it with just a, just a, a, a timeless melody Man, it can you you put your heart into it, it'll do something to you. Mm-hmm. And the arrangement is not dated. Like maybe some of the mixes, but like I thought it was a smart choice to to not like overproduce it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like to keep everything kind of dry, more strings, more like more raw instrumentation. I think is a mm. smart move with the hymns and not to like, let's make hymns, but like cool. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And, and on the other side of that, it's not, Oh, here's the pipe organ or we're doing an acapella or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's a not, good middle ground. It's not boring. It's like the perfect middle ground because it has the hymn feel, but it's just like the little bongos, you know? Like that doesn't have a hymn vibe, but it doesn't take away from it, you know. Yeah, it's just little little details. I think, I think that's been a common theme of this episode. It's just those little details that make all the difference. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's yeah, it's just like you were saying. It's there's a reason these songs have lasted for so long, and yet I think, almost in a way of that, it makes it can be a challenge to adapt them because it's everyone's adapted them. Yeah. And it's kind of like, how do you, how do you make a fresh version of this song? And I, I feel like that whole hymns record is, is a very um, well done job of just of taking these hymns and going, okay, what's a way that we've never heard them before. Cause there's, again, there's just, there's so many I'm going to use the word bizarre, but not in a bad way of just like <laughs> stuff that you just don't expect. Yeah. There were yeah. several songs I heard and I was just like, this is not at all what I, th-. even at that point in my research of hearing you guys doing lots of really cool creative stuff. I was hearing stuff on that record. I was just like, what is happening? This is really cool. I think too, um, when you look at the timeline of our career, that was kind of the, the ultimate um, uh, part of the journey where we were so tight with Michael Amardian and he'd worked with us so much. We'd worked with him. He knew us. We trusted him. We worked really well in the studio together. And then to, to be, and you know, we did multiple producers for most of our albums to be able to give him the entire record and say, just do you. And we trust you. And then for him to go, I hear Marty singing this and Andy singing this and Mark singing this. And I hear their voices coming in here as part of the arrangement. I think that's what the hymn record ends up being. And then you add these classic songs to it. It's just, 
it's like you put all just the exact right ingredients in the right amount in your stew and and it's the best thing you've ever tasted yeah mm. i agree well i think with that note we can go on to the final song of the set and i mean really there was this was the one thing when i started building the set this was the first song i put in and i knew exactly where it was going to go and it was at the end and that's for future generations hmm um, does this get like an ending? Does this close the record? No, it's actually the third song on the record. Oh wow! Dang, stacked. Yeah, because um, I remember, I remember when you guys did concerts that this was like this was like the go to like the show is over song. Yeah. Um, which is whenever you guys did the 25th anniversary tour, I remember the biggest like shock was when you guys put this mid set. Because I was, like, well, I already had my mind. I was just like, they're going to end with future generations, and then you did it. I was just like, whoa, okay. I actually have no idea where the show's going now. Because <laughs> I remember, because again, like that. It's like when I went to Tears for Fears and they opened with "Everybody Wants to Rule the World." I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? You can't. They can't keep getting away with. What are you doing? A one song show? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just because again, it kind of goes back to like there was almost a routine back when I was with you guys and just like, cause I've never would really pay attention to the shows again. No offense. It was just, I was a, I was when I was a seven year old kid that had seen tons and tons of shows. Yeah. I remember I always looked for whenever I heard basics of life come on, I was just like, okay, the show's almost over. And then when I heard the future, <laughs> okay, this is the last song I get to go home or go back to the hotel in, in, a, in a few minutes. And, but I mean, now looking back i was just like this is such a great finish to a set it's very anthemic it's very powerful uh lyrically i feel like it's it's like it's kind of like a a mission call feels kind of like we are the world yeah which didn't omar help write and produce that no he did not that was uh it was produced by don cook and uh, it was written by uh, Mark Harris, Don Cook, and Dave Clark, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, meant, uh, I meant We Are the World was. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, he was a part of the production team for yeah. that. He was, he was involved in the process. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was there in the studio when all that was going down. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm yeah. telling you, he was everywhere. <laughs> you can't listen to... This gives me We Are the World vibes, kind of like a this like these ending choruses yeah yeah but i I don't i don't really like we are the world that much what yeah it does seem like kind of the guy to like we are the world i haven't it was awesome though it's been a very long time since i've heard that song the new we are the worlds are really interesting definitely worth a watch (laughs) that's where i'll end it (laughs) <laughs> so, they added a rap verse with every single rapper. Oh, that's thirty-five so rappers. Ethan, wow. I don't know. Far away camera, and they're all the gang. They're all for gang it, but... The rap. Oh, that's that does not sound good. Yeah, Ethan, I think you're you're doing more of a job to keep Lucas from hearing this. <laughs> no, <thing>. it's <laughs> worth it. It's totally worth watching it. So, so, Dad, so what was what was kind of the the starting point for this song well so we this had come at a point where uh 
you know, you had just been born. I believe, let's see, this, this song came out in born too. Matthew had been born. So we were in early fatherhood and, you know, fatherhood changes you. It definitely, uh, you know, as when you're a songwriter, it definitely makes you think differently about what you're doing and the legacy you're leaving behind. So I remember, I remember being with Mark and he popped a cassette in to the car and said, Hey, we've written a song and we've kind of put it in your range. We feel like you're the one that's supposed to sing this. We've kind of written it around your voice. And I remember hearing it the first time going, that's number one song. That's, that's going to be a, that's a slam dunk. Number one song. I mean, uh, Mark and that songwriting team were just in a groove writing hit song after hit song. And it was just fun to be, you know, even though I wasn't one of the main songwriters, the group, it was kind of fun knowing that I was in the conversation when they were in the room writing, going, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to write this song around Andy's voice. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't have a lot of memory to be honest with you recording it. Cause a lot of that time in my life was, was a blur. I don't, I don't have specific memories of it, but I do remember, man, just as soon as it came out on Christian radio, it was like, uh Oh, <laughs> that was, that yeah. Was- that was a bomb going off. That was a bomb going off. It was, you know, just straight to number one, sat there for multiple weeks, and it just was a cornerstone song for us. And I, I still sing it wherever I go. Um, you know, I'll, ask, I'll say, hey, I'm going to sing a little For Him song for you, and I'll, I'll start singing that. And people still sing along. It still means something to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I feel like this has kind of become, like, y'all's ultimate song. Like, this is kind of the song that, has become your legacy in a way. I would say, I would say maybe it's kind of tied with, with basics of life. Yeah. But they're two completely different songs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and definitely both very anthemic. Yes. Yeah. I I remember, you know, another funny story with Tom Ward algae. Uh, He mixed this song and when we brought in the tracks to him, he looked over at the at the at the track listing. He's like, "Wait, 128 tracks of vocals. What am I supposed to do with this?" <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. Like, he's like, "We came back in the studio later with the with the producer Don, and it was down to like 30 some uh, tracks of vocals." And we were just like, "What are you doing? That's not how the song is supposed to go." And he's like, "Guys, trust me." You want me to make you a hit song? We got to get rid of some of these vocals. So as many vocals as you hear on the final mix, there are about three times as many on the original <laughs> recording. It was it was a it was a monster vocal song for sure. And it's it already sounds massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, obviously with the lyrical content and especially with where you guys were at the time that you're writing of being new parents, how has this song changed your perspective now? Because I mean, the the future generation has grown up and is having kids of their own. I mean, I've got three kids, uh, Matthew, which is Mark's son, just had his first kid, like all pretty much all of your, all of y'all's kids are grown and, and, as far as I know, or have done exactly what you were hope like, were singing about, like, you know, 
how how does that impact the way when you sing the song now? You know, you don't really understand what you're singing in the moment. Um, a lot of these songs that we've talked about and uh, some of the songs, a lot of the songs I'm kind of thinking about as we do this podcast, um, you sing them because you know they're true, but you you haven't really lived them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're great ideas, uh, but they mean something so much. You know, we we talked about a song early on called Weather. I think we did call Weather's. No, maybe we didn't. But our first single is called Weather's Faith. Um, and that song means way more to me now than it did when I was 24 years old when I recorded it. Same thing with mm-hmm. Future Generations. To hear my grandson, Harry, sing this song is just, is just surreal. I mean, I just, I can't explain what that's like to, to, to have my grandson sing future generations. It, I won't bend and I won't break. I won't water down my faith. I must be a light to future generations. It's like, what is happening here? This, (laughs) this wheel just keeps on turning. And I had no idea that a song that I was pouring my heart into and was helping me make a career of this. 25 years ago would still be played on people's computers and on their phones and sung by, you know, four-year-old little kids. I, it just, it <laughs> blows my mind. So, you know, you, you, if you, if you, if you believe in the Christian message, if you believe in, in that, 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 there, that there's a spirit that, that works through all of us through all time, uh, you have to believe that, uh, that there is, things that you that you say about yourself that you sing about yourself that you proclaim at an earlier age that you don't really see and doesn't make sense until you're older and i would consider myself you know obviously i'm a grandpa now and these songs so many of these songs mean so much more to me now than they did you know when i was just a young father so to to see a song like for future generations just continue to to spin into the next generation and the next generation after that it's just mind blowing. It's yeah, it's it's literally doing what what the song is saying. Yeah, it's in in a way it was almost it was almost calling into existence. Yeah, and I completely. think that that's I think that that's very powerful. Uh huh. Um, Ethan Grant, kind of what 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 was sticking out to you with this song? I don't know if I can follow that up. I can't follow that up. That was such a good. I don't, I don't know what else am I supposed to say to end the segment. The producing is good. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, seems lackluster after that whole thing. It's it's now again. It was almost like I said earlier. It was the. It seemed like the easy choice to put this at the end, but kind of understanding the importance of it and just seeing it's just it's it it's like there's no other song that i feel like could have ended this i agree this is a great set yeah thank you i i i really have to think about um i'm between two songs for my favorite songs for final thoughts so I i don't know well, I think I think you said it best. I don't think there's really anything we can we can no. say after that. So we're gonna take another break here. When we come back, we're gonna just gonna give our final thoughts and wrap things up. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast with Andy Chrisman, our special guest for him. We just got done listening to our six songs for this week from For Him, which was Wings, Measure of a Man, Real Thing, The Only Thing I Need, Be Thou My Vision, and For Future Generations. If you want to listen to that, go into the description and listen to it. Um, now it's time for our last segment, which is Final Thoughts. Uh, at the beginning, we... Oh, we forgot to give our number yeah, at the beginning. Okay. It's okay. Usually we give a number one to 10 on what our first perceptions were. And now it's time after we get the context and we listen to the songs together and we talk, uh, it's time for us to talk about how our perceptions have changed and to give our new numbers. So Grant, you're first as always. Well, I think it kind of goes without saying that, I was at a five to begin with because I didn't know pretty much anything about for him. But man, have I moved to a seven. I liked all of these songs. I liked the unique arrangements of everything. I liked the fact that it was Christian music, but it wasn't, you know, the same thing that you hear on the radio today. And it, it felt very fresh to me. And I really enjoyed that experience at the very least. Um, the level of musicianship all across the board was great, and that's something to be respected. And I, I, as far as my favorite song, I mean, I'm really leaning towards for future generations because there's like, you know, I come from uh, my dad really pushing me to get into music because he knew I would enjoy it, and uh, my mother's uh, father is a big musician, so we kind of had that general generational link of musicianship. And that's kind of something that's that I guess is is sort of related to that that song, even though it's not it doesn't encapture the whole meaning of the song. But but I think that even still, I like the story behind the only thing I need. I like the collaboration effort that was there, and the <laughs> fact that there was just so many voices that just all came together in something that was really really cool. And probably will never be replicated for the rest of you know human history. That's kind of a that's kind of a one unique milestone in the whole uh, tapestry of music. So I'd have to go with the only thing I need is my favorite. All right, Ethan. I probably would have, and not even because of for him, but I had a probably a a um a misguided idea of what 90 ccm sounded like and maybe for him is the outlier and i just didn't know it but i probably would have put myself at a four originally and i would probably just would have been like ah, eh, for him like i mentally even before hearing this is i was like i kind of feel like i already know what that should sound like and i was freaking wrong um, <laughs> the um yeah i think i probably would go from a four to a seven and just for everybody that doesn't know the the rating scale is one to ten ten is like pillar pillar nine is you know and love like even the deep cuts eight is you just love most of the songs seven is there's some songs that i love six is kind of liking it five is neutral and then four is you know going down i don't think i could put myself at, at an eight because i haven't listened to any more than these other than um uh basics of life but like i, I keep i keep a 
a playlist on Spotify, and <laughs> that's so terrible. It's called Christian Music That's Actually Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And there's not very many songs in there. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> so terrible uh but like as we're listening through these i'm like dragging them in i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna listen to that again oh yeah i'm gonna listen to that again that's sick that's freaking awesome that's awesome uh and so i'm excited because it feels like even though the music is like from the 90s like it feels like there's energy to it that we i'm i don't get now and Mm -hmm. uh i'll talk to andy later about all the other bands that is are making good and inspired and because we talk about songwriting on here a lot and just like even in the bad music podcast it's like oh this didn't feel like it came from like anywhere you know like but then there's just some things where it's like man this song is inspired this arrangement is just popping like everything just clicked and and i think all at least all the songs that we listen to today especially those two records that you talked about lucas um uh the ride and uh the message like i will definitely be going back because if any if those records sound anything like the ones that we heard today then they're probably really freaking good uh i am torn between uh real thing and the only thing i need being my favorite songs like those two i think i'm gonna have to go with real thing just because the key the way that the, the first time I listened through it and the key changes in the arrangement, just like it just got me. <laughs> it was, it was the perfect curveball for my musician <laughs> brain. <laughs> but the only thing I need is a, I mean, it's so good. And mm-hmm. wings like wings also has a special play, place in my heart just because it was the first one of all of it. And I was just like a, a funk guitar line in a Christian song. Yeah. What is this? The nineties? And the answer is yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Um, so for me, this this is maybe this is the most complex because it's just there's yeah. no band that I've really had a longer history with than for him. Um, Mom always told me that whenever she was pregnant with me and she would go to shows, that as soon as the music started, I started bouncing. <laughs> so I've I've been around for him even before i was born and it's it's gone through such an interesting journey because again like i said i was i was very indifferent to it for a long time and then i remember i remember when i was at oru there was there was like there's a couple songs that i hadn't heard in a long time and i was just and i kind of pulled them up and i was just like oh wow these are really cool, but then I kind of never pursued it more. I kind of just got distracted with listening to a bunch of other stuff. And then um, it was really whenever um, my son, Harry, st- started to really want to know more about um, dad's music that I kind of really started to hear these songs again, just going, okay, I really need to go back and listen to all this stuff because this is really good. And gosh, it's it's really hard to say where I would be at the start of this episode. I would say I was probably at a seven. And at this point, I mean, I really have to say that 
it's it's a very strong nine because again it's not just the music but just really almost in a way recontextualizing my entire childhood and that almost could even make it a 10 because it's it's yeah, it changed who you are as a person it really has I've, I've kind of looked now back at my childhood in a much different way and just and almost in a way just going you didn't appreciate this when you were around it and i wish i would have but i mean mm-hmm. i really i couldn't have cuz i was 5 i was mm-hmm. you know i was a little kid but you know this dad your music changed my life wow i mean it's it's the whole i mean a big reason of who i am where i am is is because of what you guys did and i'm and i, I feel like i'm really starting to understand that for the first time wow Thanks, and, son. That's that's amazing. Thank you, um, because I know that I know that subliminally, even all of that has given me my love for music, my love yeah. for performance, and being on stage. It's just like mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have that had I not been so ingrained in it and at such a young age. Wow. And so, well, it was always my hope that what 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 I did would mean something to you and the rest of my family, but especially you just being my firstborn and, um, you know, knowing how much you reacted to music and, and art that it's, you know, I couldn't think of anything more special than for you to appreciate what your old man did back in the day. And you know, that now you're playing it for your kids. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sorry that it, it took me this long to really <laughs> better late than never. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all all of you guys should uh, all of you listening should should check that even if you don't agree with the message, we're not we're not going to try and you know and preach to you guys, but just from a pure musical standpoint, this stuff is worth listening to and checking out. I would I would highly encourage you to. Uh, my favorite song, I I just I can't resist real thing. It's it's the one that just hits me so equally on the sonic and emotional level. Yep. I just that's kind of the one that I just that I go to. I'm just like this this is just really awesome. Uh, Harry's pick. <laughs> I honestly don't know which one he likes more: Measure of a Man or Future Generations. Because it's usually one of those two that he always asks for when we're in the car. I'm going to say probably Measure of a Man edges it out a little bit. <laughs> That's and so funny to hear him sing that. I know. <laughs> Although his mind was blown when he found out that the Yes guy sung with his hobby. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, like, I could, I kind of saw his brain kind of. Explode. Put two and two together. He's just like, what? <laughs> like yeah. him listening to it, and his eyes kind of getting big. That was that was a cool thing to see. Um, and then I always like to throw in Cal's pick to my wife because she, I make her listen to the set as well. She said for future generation. No, she said the only thing I need was her favorite. Woo! So, one. do I get a pick? Yeah, sure. I don't hear well, any final thoughts. Yeah. After, uh, hearing, yeah, after hearing three youngsters talk about, <laughs> especially since you're not going to let me be around for the worst songs yeah. uh, of our catalog, I don't Trust know what the problem is. It's it's okay. You you don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, I the thing is though, I think I've seen your list and I completely agree <laughs> with every song that's on I there. Think I'm not so interesting to hear him talk about the worst one. I just oh, uh I don't know. I there there's a lot of people in my life that may not that may not appreciate my comments on those songs. That's uh, so I might just have to bow out of that. Our but you don't want to get sued. I, I I've said this for a long time and I'll I'll stand by it here. I think the only thing I need is probably the best song we've ever done. Just front to back, the concept, the production elements, the the fact that John Anderson's on it. Um it it in my opinion, it propelled us into the final phase of our career because we continue to work with um, uh, Brent Bourgeois on our next record. It, I don't know, it was kind of like it was kind of like that capstone to our career because we'd had career songs with where there's faith. You know, every every artist needs a career song, right? That you have if you can have one career song then you'll stay around forever. You know, you can be a one hit wonder. That's your career mm-hmm. song and you'll be played forever. If you can have two career songs, you are, you're a bona fide artist. Yeah. that's going to be around. If you can have three career songs, now you get in that upper echelon of artists. And again, I'm not bragging on me. I'm just, I'm just telling you the history of what yeah. we've done. So with where there's faith, the basics of life and for future generations, those are three career songs that's very rare for an artist to have. And then for the only thing I need to come along, I think that really, to me, that was like the, that was like the icing on the cake, the cherry on top. Uh, kind of like how cool was yeah. it that we got to do that? So for me, uh, I think my top song for, for him is the only thing I need. Well, there you go. Yeah. it's. I mean, so I also have a because I always construct a uh, a ranked playlist and rank everything. I'll, I'll kind of also share with you where all the songs fell on that ranking. Um, I put Measure of a Man at number thirteen or fourteen, Wings at number eleven, um, Be Thou My Vision at number five, Real Thing at number four, The Only Thing I Need at two, and For Future Generations at one. Well, so that's that's me more picking with my objective brain because obviously if I picked with my personal brain, real thing would be because I was like that's my favorite. But all right, well, this was a really fun episode. Thank you yeah. so much, Dad. For yeah, thank you. Yeah, guys, that was awesome. And if I have another career in music, have me on, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Round two. Well, we'll. Maybe maybe we'll we'll do a volume two at some point and we'll and we'll have you back on. We'll do the deep tracks. Yeah, there we go. Because that's usually what we do after we kind of ease you in with the hits and then we start to get into the more interesting stuff. Um, thank you also so much, everyone that listened to this episode. Um, if you enjoyed what you listened to, please hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight. Um, next week is going to be another episode in our music history, and I'm really excited about that one because we're actually not going to be talking about a type of music, but we're going to talk about a person, someone that defined an era. So you're definitely not going to want to miss that. You're going to hear some of the most incredible music that you've ever heard in your life. Wow. That's a guarantee. <laughs> um Make sure that you find us on social media, on Instagram, and on Facebook. We have a lot of stuff going on there right now. 
Um, if you have an artist that you want us to talk about, make sure that you send it over to us. Um, we love to hear what you guys uh, want to hear, and it gives us kind of uh, stuff that we may have not have thought about to do. And so um, make sure you check us out there. And there's two links in the episode description. One of them takes you to the Spotify playlist. Go check out these songs. It would be a shame if you got this far and you didn't listen to them. And the other one will take you to our Patreon page where uh, you can get access to episodes early and get access to the Bad Music Podcast segment. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.